and welcome to Ride the Omnibus. I'm your host, Ariel Alaska, and today my co-host Rabia and I are joined by director Martika Escobar to talk about her great love letter to Filipino action film, Leonor Will Never Die. We were both absolutely thrilled to watch your film at Sundance because we Thank just you. are in love with Filipino cinema in general. And it's such a beautiful love letter to the Philippines, but also a certain kind of filmmaking that you expect from there as well. And so I wondered if, first of all, you could tell us a little bit about what drove you to make this film. Well, I'd first like to say thank you, Ariel, for inviting me to uh, for this interview. Um, but to to answer your question, what inspired me to to make this film? I think it's a bunch of different things, but it really took form during a workshop in the Philippines. It's in this school called Moel Fund, and the people who work there used to work in the action film industry in the seventies and eighties, mm. and so they would come to class dressed up as if they were characters from these Filipino action films, and that's just their normal fashion. So I wondered, my friend and I were wondering, what is it about these Filipino action films that make these people feel like they're in still in a film during that era? And when I tried to ponder on deeper on what this actually means, um, in our history, when I was growing up, our president was a former action star, is Joseph Estrada, and after him, there were many other action star presidents, politicians, senators, even even uh, the the person who led the Senate senatorial election senatorial elections this year was a famous Filipino action star, and people were surprised that he led the elections. But then again, it's not so surprising looking at our history. So I think it's really also about how film affects us and cinema affects us as people and how it makes me feel like I'm in one big film as well, because that's how I see life. It's like this one really long film that we keep on writing and revising until it's complete. And I actually realized that now that I'm traveling, so I'm in Poland right now, and I came from a different festival yesterday, mm. and I realized that it's still, the film keeps on growing and it keeps on changing in every screening and in every person we we meet who has seen the film so yeah it's it's really about trying to write your own life and also how cinema affects us as people so basically it's a bunch of ideas put into one film that's amazing because you were mentioning a, a lot of people even in politics mm -hmm. are action heroes and this yes. is like this love letter also to filipino action movies filipino filmmaking are there any specific titles that you were referencing that maybe western audiences are not as familiar with in uh, leonor will never die right um if there are specific films i would say there there are none i really based the action sequences of this film from memory because in the oh, Philippines wow. growing up they would families would often play and often watch action film replays on television and it's not because they choose to I think it's just how television channels are programmed so in the afternoon they usually play that so it's usually a back-to-back -back action Filipino classic film and they play that in, in homes in little shops in the bus in clinics, in schools, and it's played everywhere to the point that if you ask anybody from my age who's probably in the middle class, 
um, or lower middle class um, part of society, they are familiar with these action films and they can tell you the tropes, the characters, yeah. the the one-liners. And it's not even because they know these films. It's because they've seen so much and they don't even recall the titles. It's just so um, familiar. And it also means that out of the hundreds of Filipino action films, they keep on repeating the same ideas as well. So, yeah, there's not one specific film, but if I need to mention a name or a film, it would probably be the films of Fernando Poe Jr. Mm-hmm. and my favorite of which is Ang Padrino. So, yeah, I, I think his, his films reflect, it, it can encapsulate what Filipino action movies are like during that era. And I love that you have her cite him as the favorite actor and in the film as well. Right. When you are trying to embody for all audiences, basically, what this aesthetic is, and you're simultaneously showing the behind the scenes aesthetic as well as what the editing process looks like, etc. How hard was it for you to keep all of the streams straight as a director in terms of figuring out okay i'm gonna have this very meta theatrical sequence over here and then people discussing the editing of the cut Mm -hmm. over here right um how hard was it um i actually would do things first based on how i think uh the structure should be made so that's how i wrote and how we made the first draft of the of the cut but it's really the other people who would tell me if if a narrative doesn't work, if one of the worlds has gaps, if the idea is not um, communicated in, in the story. So what I would do is try my idea out, let people watch, and then ask for their feedback and apply their feedback just so we come up with a film that's accessible. Because it's really important to me somehow that the film is engaging and it plays with so many worlds and so many ideas. And it's really based on a bunch of daydreams as well, like the snail or the brain scans. So it's hard since it's personal. For me, it makes sense. But when someone else watches it, it doesn't make sense. So I needed the help of my producers and uh, Filipino filmmakers who I would often invite to watch the film during its early stages. That's like 24 versions of of the film. How long did it take to make the film? It, well, uh, we shot in 2019, but I started writing in 2015. Oh, wow. That's a nice process. And in general, so the fact that it's so involved with the Filipino cinematic past, but also the future, as you mentioned, you had other makers come and watch it and critique it. How has it been for you and for those that have worked on it, as well as those that have given feedback and are aspiring filmmakers themselves, the fact that it's been such a hit success internationally? I mean, this played Sundance, it played TIFF, it just recently sold out all the screenings at Imagine Fantastic Film Festival. Worldwide, this is, at least here in the West, it's doing really well on the festival circuit. And I've heard people go in for second and third screenings of this movie because they were 
just so charmed by it. They were so enamored by it. And these are all non-Filipinos. So first of all, congratulations on that. But second of all, do you feel that this maybe has also opened up the world to more Filipino cinema? I hope. And one thing I've realized is that our screenings abroad are more well attended than our screenings in the Philippines. So it's give me it, it gives me hope and also makes me happy to know that people who are not from our country actually want to watch it, are actually responding to it and are actually talking about it and telling their friends about it. So it's it's a it's a weird situation. We're actually self-distributing the film in the Philippines and we're struggling every time. So we just canceled uh, three of our screenings because our last screening didn't turn out well. So it, it's weird. And it's also um, surprising um, because when we were making this and I would invite my friends, nobody ever really had that like really wow reaction to it. They would often tell me it's weird. It's very you. Um, they like it, but not really uh, no big reaction. So it's only until we got invited into Sundance that we felt that, okay, maybe the film isn't so bad after all. Um, because <laughs> before, before submitting to Sundance, we got rejected in quite a number of festivals to the mm-hmm. point that it made me and my producer question, maybe our film's not good after all. We thought it was okay and we were happy with it. That's why we started submitting it, but it didn't get to do anything until until Sundance. But it's really Sundance that led us to the other festivals. So since it was there, people maybe thought it's oh maybe it's nice, and they they started watching it and inviting it in other festivals. Did you have a champion by chance who really stood up for the film? Yes, very much. So I really believe that a work really needs that champion and it's through that champion where everything starts. So for us, it was Heidi Zwicker and Charlie Sextro of Sundance. So I remember both of them giving me a, giving a call over Zoom and telling me how they discovered the film through Film Freeway because I just submitted in Film Freeway on a whim and I have like a thousand of rejections on Film Freeway for my previous films and I actually thought it was a scam but when I saw Sundance and the early deadline was fast approaching and I couldn't afford the normal deadline fee so I made sure I submitted forgot about it I didn't tell anybody from our team that I submitted in Sundance and then randomly out of the blue I got an email saying that we got invited. So it's just all so surreal and it's nothing we ever expected. My producers were shocked, like, what happened? It's so weird. You didn't even tell us, but it's also nice. But it started with that champion. And then from Sundance, I think um, Peter Koplowski from TIFF saw Mm -hmm. it and he contacted Monster early on, even before the official TIFF stopped, that he's interested in inviting it for TIFF. And so during the final programming, he placed us as the closing film of Midnight Madness. And then we had our best screening ever. Oh, <laughs> so wow. It's really through those champions, like those people who search for you, who find you, who, who, who keep on checking up, like, how are you? Where are you playing next? They would invite people to watch. They would promote it through their own platform. So yeah, we were so lucky to have, to have these people around because... Uh, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to find people like those. 
That's so wonderful. And Rabia, as as marketing director of Imagine Film Festival, knows for a fact exactly Mm -hmm. how important all of those roles are for sure. But I think it's wonderful for our audience to hear what an enormous generosity and spirit it takes to really promote film in that way. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. And now that I've been traveling a bit and meeting all the programmers, I'm so inspired by how they are. It's just like they genuinely have a mission in life to find these films and to share it and to show these films to other people. And I actually want to be a programmer now after meeting all of them. They're just so inspiring. (laughs) Hey, well, why not? I think a lot of festivals are looking for more diverse voices and not just to meet some type of quota, but also to get perspectives and people with different cultures to bring in gems that they would maybe otherwise miss. So, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I'd say apply, apply to any programming job that you come across. And going back to what you were saying, like people becoming your advocates for the film, I can understand why. Like I said before, this sold out. But once that buzz from Sundance came in, once a few people watched it at Sundance, everyone was like, I was not expecting this. This is so good. Where else can we get this? Where else can this play? Like, is this playing anywhere else? So I'm not surprised that some people like took that to heart and and ran with it and we're like we need to get this everywhere yeah so that's definitely a lesson for filmmakers don't give up oh yes don't give up at all we were on the verge of giving up many times yeah it's also Mm -hmm. so fascinating to me as well that you play with so many political themes talking about the war on drugs in particular which i'm not as familiar with filipino history as i should be i know that for a fact but in light of duterte's reign of terror when it comes to the war on drugs. It's very interesting to see how that plays into your narrative as well. And I wondered if you could comment on that a little bit. Uh, I think all films, not just action films, reflect a certain time when the film is being made, reflect a certain perspective. So I made sure that if we're putting an action scene, it should at least reflect something that's a, a big problem in, in our country and something that should be talked about and something that should be known. And it's some, the war on drugs is a, everyone uh, worldwide is familiar with it. So I just wanted to put the opening action scene with a, an, a planted drug and extrajudicial killings. So that is intentional. That wasn't in the first, in the first draft of the script, which I started in 2000. 15 so i just slowly added um little elements to fit it to fit the times perhaps for planting that in the 1970s lens were you worried about how the anachronism would seem because one of the things that i love about this film is that you have so many different elements that just play through so many different eras simultaneously and i think it's so beautiful the way that it combines and comes out but I just wondered was that a consideration for you actually no I rarely thought about the specific era of the film while we were making it I don't even know if it's like 60s or 70s or 80s action (laughs) I just call it action of the past action I have nostalgia for even if I didn't live through that era it's that action that 
also I'm familiar with just by watching the replays. And in the present time, when my producers were asking, our production designer was asking, so what year is this set? I have no idea. I just imagined it as <laughs> a timeless thing. But they decided to put it in uh, the early 2000s or late 90s, also the time right after Arab. So just to situate the film more. Okay. Wow. It comes through as a very fluid past timeline. So that worked very cleverly, I think. Thank you. Maybe because I don't really think of time as uh, (laughs) like periods with divisions. Maybe they're just one thing. It's just riding a snail, right? Mm-mm. Yep, <laughs> riding a snail. <laughs> you mentioned that Leonor is an inherently very personal story. Obviously, you wrote a action uh, comedy, uh, and it's a very deeply uh, a genre film. There's blood, there's action sequences, there's amazing choreography as well. How did you bring all those elements together? Because there's often people are getting like a few or one specifically, but there's so many elements to this movie when it comes to genre and all these specific things. Like it's funny, but it's also blood soaked. How did you bring that together? And was it a difficult task? And how did you balance it so nicely? I, I don't know. I have no <laughs> idea. And one problem we had while pitching the project is that we couldn't label it under one genre. So sometimes it's a surreal drama, sometimes it's an action comedy, sometimes it's a hybrid. We got invited by a documentary festival. So it's it's really weird. And I actually, until now, I couldn't define it. I often describe the process of it as a film that built itself which means it can be sometimes an action film, sometimes it can be a self-reflexive, introspective work, sometimes it's that realist drama at home with just um, observational shots. So I usually base it on what I feel and how I imagine the entire script, and I didn't think of genres or the structure so much. So I would often just um, wing it out with the people I'm with on sets so with our actors, with our production team, even in editing. So when we didn't have uh, an ending for the film, so my producer called me. I said, okay, I'm done. I'm happy with this film. I love it. Let's put it out. And she calls me and says, oh, you have no ending yet. So as as a filmmaker, there's like this giant crisis. So I asked my editor to sit down with me and try to solve that statement from my producer. And so I started to record our conversations. So the conversation of myself and my editor. And then the conversa- the conversations appeared in the film, in the last 30 minutes in the film. So I think, yeah, it's, it's really best to describe it as a film that formed itself. And my editor even appeared in the film himself. So that was during our um, additional shoot day when I didn't know what to do. I just invited him in the rooftop and we talked about how to end the film. So I guess it's personal that way. Or maybe it's also a reflection on how I see life itself as a process of filmmaking, not just seeing life as a film, but seeing life as the process of making films. I don't know if I'm making sense, but it seems that way whenever I make a film. Yeah, that's wonderful. And then having that beautiful musical sequence at the end, was that originally planned in the script? Oh, yes. That's original. Um, That's one of the 
one of my favorite first thoughts. So there's the brain scan and the musical. So I've always known that I wanted to have multiple worlds in the film and put them into one world at the end with a song and dance number. And it's not just because I thought it was fun. It's also a very Filipino thing to do mm-hmm. to celebrate being together despite all the sad things happening in our country. Um, so I wanted to end it in a positive light somehow. And a lot of action comedies and the exact same way too with a frozen frame at the very end, uh, credits, dance sequence. And so it's both an homage and both something I like. And also it, um, it serves the intention of wanting to put multiple worlds together. Yeah. And it's such a beautiful film and it's such a testament to your love of the craft as well as the culture. Thank you so much for creating this beautiful world. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad you appreciate it. Like, yeah, yeah. Someone connects to it. Yeah. This one really stood out this year on the festival tracks. Ariel and myself go to quite a few, either in person and, and or online. And this is one of those movies that just stuck. It's just like, oh, yeah. Even after a few months, like, oh, I can watch this again. Yes. Thanks. I also actually think it's it's because most of the films nowadays are sad movies. <laughs> so to find a joyful one just makes it stick semi-automatically. Oh, but thank yeah, you. And, and there was just so much character to it. I mean, I think that the thing is, is that what people really tend to like is that just Leonor as a character is written so robust. She has so much layers to her and while going through that journey with her while she's in a coma in that movie, it has this really, really high likability factor to her. And that transcends any type of culture or cultural background or ethnicity. And it's just really, she's just really, really likable. And I think oh. that's an amazing feat to have written a character that is just really, really likable like that. And older women in general are not yeah. given roles that often so to see older women in the foreground in such a way is so beautiful too definitely definitely are you currently working on your next big thing uh we're working on our previous small thing so the self-distribution of leonor uh, that's mm-hmm. what we're busy with right now, and that's what we're failing so far. Um, but I am trying to make, uh, trying to write a, a second feature, and I hope it doesn't take another eight years. Um, <laughs> I want it to be with the same team, but I want it to be smaller than Leonor. So Leonor is small, but I think that something smaller is something I'd like for the next film, something also more personal. Let's see. But it's also the same um, spirit of... Uh, it's three films in, in one. <laughs> oh, wow. So ambitious, but small. Yeah. And I realized that when, when the project is smaller, you get closer to the work. Mm. And if the, the, the team is smaller also, you all get closer. And that's something I want. I felt we were close in Leonor, but I still feel we can get closer. And every time oh, there's wow. more people, I feel the distance. And that's something I want to shy away from, which is weird um, because now that after we made the first film and it's doing, it's doing okay, there are people who want to help us out telling us, oh, what do we want to do? Do we want to try working in a studio or working 
somewhere and my my response is often like yes i'm interested but i i i imagine the next film to be smaller and more personal and more heard somehow so it, it's weird there's also an existential crisis um that comes along with 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 making this first film but i think it gives clarity to what i want to make mm-hmm. for the second film and that existential crisis is essential to who you are as an artist don't ever separate from that thank you Well, thank you so very much. This has been delightful. And I wish you every luck with Leonor Will Never Die as it continues to grow in success. And I can't wait to see what happens. So, Thank you, Ariel and Rabia. Thank you so much. It means a lot that you're supporting our film. So thank you. (laughs) I think both Ariel and I are really, really enthusiastic about seeing new voices emerge in cinema in general and world cinema. And I think your voice is a very interesting one to see elevated. So I'm hoping to see more of you. Obviously, like Ariel said, we do really, really wish you a lot of luck in getting the distribution uh, on track uh, with Leonor. But at the same time, I'm super curious what else your mind can procure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. And thank you for taking a moment right now to reflect with me on the history of the land you are listening on now. Whether you are stuck in traffic or sitting in your office chair, take the time to look up whose traditional lands you are on now and what treaties govern those territories. I record this podcast on the site of lands stolen from the Manahoac people. I am grateful to work on this land And I acknowledge that we need to protect and honor the history of the indigenous people from other tribal nations that have made innumerable contributions around the world. I share this in the hope that my listeners may join me in honoring our past, present, and future. Without this land, this earth, and each other, we are nothing. Before I go, please take 30 seconds now to leave us a five-star review by clicking on support the show in the show notes. We don't want your money. We want your words. A simple RTO rocks my socks expands our reach and helps us keep bringing you great content and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, where we are at omnibus ride. You can also visit our website, omnibusride.com, where you can go to dive deeper into our content and learn more about the show. A special thank you to our amazing editor, William Das. We truly couldn't do what we do without him or Danielle. Be well, be safe, and keep in touch. Mm